Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empowering a community through the mission in their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Listeners, I am elated to bring to you this bonus episode of the In Awe podcast featuring none other than my very dear friend, Jessica Kabeen. We had originally recorded this episode with the plan to feature her on a series on parenting. However, it's with deep joy that I gift her with the amplification of her story on December 23rd, which is the exact day she and her family celebrate adding Isaiah to their family unit. Jessica is the principal of Ellis Middle School in Austin, Minnesota. Prior to that, she was the principal of the happiest place in southeastern Minnesota, the Woodson Kindergarten Center. She has been an assistant middle school principal, a special education supervisor, and special education teacher. She authored Hacking Early Learning in 2018 and co-authored Balance Like a Pirate with Jessica Johnson and I. Jessica was awarded the NAESP Vinci Digital Leader of Early Learning Award in 2016 and in 2017 was named the Minnesota National Distinguished Principal. Jessica is active on social media at Jessica Cabine and co-moderates hashtag ECE chat, as well as engages with other educators looking to make all things possible for our young learners and learners that are young at heart. In this episode, Jessica shares in vulnerable fashion her experiences with the challenges associated with the adoption process and the truthful struggles that are aligned with being a parent of an adopted child. Through her authentic story, we can learn how we too can hold pain and promise simultaneously and reach out when we need help to thrive in our varied roles. Jessica is a daily inspiration to me, and I am honored to amplify for you today her parenting story. Jessica, welcome. I'm so happy to have you on the In Awe podcast. It's wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to just be a part of this new adventure for you, and it's just an honor to see you you know, elevating other women's voices and it's just a a needed forum. So thanks for having me here. I know that, you know, the mission of the In Awe podcast is really to provide empowerment to a community through the mission and their message. And I've had the lucky fortune to know you for a couple of years. And for the listeners, if you haven't met or heard of Jessica Cabin, you are in for a treat today because she is a woman who just perseveres through challenge and focus and immerses herself really well, but also does a great job job of inspiring the people around her. And I know that for me, my journey has been really impacted by her. So Jessica, I'm so excited to have the listeners come to your story today. One of the things that we're recording this in December, and I know that Jessica and I had a common memory that came through on Facebook today, and it was of our time writing a book together with Jessica Johnson a year ago. So I've shared my story on the origin for this In Awe podcast. And Jess, you and I sat in the lobby of that hotel and we talked about how we felt like our voices were going to be used for for from a higher purpose, for a higher calling. And I can feel that tonight. So I'm really excited about that. And it's really cool that it was exactly a year ago. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh, that was a powerful conversation. Holy cow. So... Just let's get right into it. I have Jessica Cabin on the show today because she has a really phenomenal backstory as it relates to parenting. Many of us can relate to parenting. Some of us uh, are parents of biological children. Some of us are parents of foster. Some of us are pet parents. Jessica is actually one of all of those. (laughs) So would you be willing to share with us a little bit about your story? Absolutely. So I am, uh, my husband and I have two 
two boys and a boy dog. Um, and Kenny is our oldest son. He's an eighth grader and will be turning 14 here in February. Isaiah is our adoptive son. Um, he is 12. And then, of course, we have to talk about Rigby really quick. Rigby, the puppy dog. Please talk about Rigby. Rigby, I love Rigby. Rigby's my own therapy pet, I tell you. He is he is the joy of my life, but um, has gotten me through quite a few things. But uh, really, um, in the timing of, of the podcast, too, is we're getting really close on what we really recognize in our family is probably more of the birthday celebration for Isaiah and his adoption day. And so that was... Um, we brought him home from Ethiopia on December 23rd and we are going to be coming up on, oh my gosh, eight years, seven, eight years already. It's crazy. That kind of blows my mind because it seems so fresh and yet you just seem like such a seasoned veteran at being this mom and eight years really in the scheme of things is not very long. You said that it's coming up on the 23rd. What kind of things are you thinking about as you're coming up to this kind of celebration with your family? So we always do on or around that adoption day, a trip back to the airport. That's been our family event. So he gets to choose what we do alongside it, whether it's dinner or stay in a hotel. And we always go back to a certain Christmas tree at the airport and we go to the international terminal and we just kind of walk through that whole process of, you know, Isaiah and I coming home from Ethiopia, waiting for Rob and Kenny and some family and friends on the other side of the gate. And just every year we kind of talk about some special memories around that time of the year. So we lead up to that um, with a little bit of trepidation, just because um, if you have adopted or fostered, the holidays can be hard for, for, for children. And it's not lost on our family. The, the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas can be challenging for us just because of the turmoil in his adoption and the transition from Ethiopia to here. We try to keep things pretty low key and routine for him. And um, usually we try to get a letter to his birth mother around this time too, just to kind of update her as to how things are going and, and never really forgetting and always remembering the role that she continues to have in our family and in the gift that she gave us in her son. So uh, those are kind of the little things we do. We have just certain routines that we have that just really celebrate Isaiah around this special time of the year um, along with Christmas too. So Jessica, you referenced some turmoil around the adoption. Is there a a story that you'd like to unpack there a little bit for anybody listening who... We can we can go with the lifetime movie of adoption. I mean, really, I mean, you've you've walked through it with me, but um, we started the journey um, nine years ago and just kind of looking to to grow our family. And we were um, going through the St. Paul uh, Children's Home and Adoption Services. So we we did the social work visits. We did the we called it adoption boot camp weekends. We met with other families. We did all the research. And probably about four months into the process, we got the call for Isaiah. So we were so excited because we were expecting a two to three year wait and here it was four months. And so then it transitioned into a process of getting court documents together, um, additional social work visits, starting to get money together for a trip to Ethiopia. And then probably two months into that, we just started to have some hiccups where paperwork was lost, things didn't quite um, come to fruition. So a trip that usually takes two to three months to get set up was about seven. So then Rob and I went to to Africa, we met him, we hugged him, we loved on him. And then we came home and expected two to three months later, we'd be bringing him home. And it was almost like anything that could happen, happened. Um, 
more paperwork was lost, more families were bringing their children home and and we weren't and uh, really got into a dark emotional place for myself. Just um, probably the, the, the one time in my life that no matter how hard I worked, how hard I prayed, how hard I tried, it just wasn't working out for me. And so um, we got to the summer and things started to turn for us. We saw uh, the courts really pushing forward. We got the okay that he was going to be our son. The birth certificate changed and then everything just ended. It was the middle of August. I was sitting in an admin meeting and I got the call and I thought, this is it. I'm going to Ethiopia. And right away, she said, we have your husband on the line. Can you can you go somewhere private? And I said, OK. And at that point, they uh, notified us that the government had terminated the adoption. So so life as we knew it had um, significantly changed. Because you introed with the fact that Isaiah is your son. And so the listeners can piece together that ending ended differently than that moment. But you can still recall that very vividly. Could you describe what that felt like? Through years of therapy and reading a lot, it's called an ambiguous loss. And so uh, when... I've read about it. It's it's similar to someone who's had a, a miscarriage or something where um, the child was yours. If you know you knew it was yours, but um, in the eyes of others, it really wasn't. And so um, it just was a very deep state of depression at that time for myself. And just trying to you know get up every morning, uh, go to work. I was an assistant principal at a middle school at the time, so um, really trying to put my needs uh, behind so I could focus on the needs of others. But just if you've ever experienced in your life a loss like that, it's just something you just can't shake. And you think you're you think you have a couple of days where things are going well. And then all of a sudden a memory or a moment will hit. And um, we joke about it now. But at that middle school, there's there's blinds in the assistant principal's office because they just never knew when I was going to have a moment for that. Those three to four months as as um, we were grieving that loss and in a school that just couldn't quite figure out how to, you know, show compassion and empathy to me because they hadn't gone through those circumstances. So uh, those three to four months were really long and we did a lot of praying and a lot of working with our legislator. And we had found a few other families that were going through the same circumstance and ended up meeting a vice prime minister of Ethiopia in October that championed our son and found him and then brought him back to the, the capital city in November. And then then we started the process of bringing him home. A couple things to go back to there, Jessica. This is why I know your story is so meant to be amplified, because though Listeners may not have been through the process that you have. I can really appreciate how you educate us on this. Do, what was it called again? The loss? I didn't write oh, it down. Ambiguous loss. Ambiguous, ambiguous loss. loss. I guarantee you that there are many of our listeners here being able to relate to that. I being one of them, I have experienced that, understand what it feels like to be in that kind of cocoon of pain and everyone around you is wondering why you're not moving on. So I really appreciate how you kind of pick, draw that picture for us of of the blinds and just really trying to care because I know it's, it's relative. It's great because then you went out and advocated like the tenacious person that I know you are, which is awesome. And think about how your lives have changed because of that. What steps did you take and how did you get such an advocate on your side? Uh, I, we just, um, we had happened to have met a couple of the other families on our first trip. And so right away when, when the rug kind of 
just was ripped out from underneath us. We reached out to two of them and then the other two kind of came into play with us. So there was five of us that we became like our own support group. So we had a private um, chat, I think it was through Google at the time there. We would just get in on a daily basis and support each other through uh, hard spots in the week or hard spots in the day. And um, it was just, it was really comforting to know that I wasn't alone in that experience. I mean, granted, they were all across the United States, but it was just really helpful through that time to know that somebody else was struggling and, and even moving forward. Um, and we call it the, after the airport, you know, as you're raising a child, uh, having somebody who's gone through the adoption process and working through trauma and attachment issues, it's nice to just be able to have a normal conversation about some really abnormal behaviors that only few people really understand. Kind of coming back from that, I think any pain or situation we're in, if we can find a support network is huge. And that's one thing that I know you're really great at is surrounding yourself with people. And so listeners can take a page from your book on that one. But also I can understand how it must be really challenging for you. And I would assume continues to be to find that you might be in a room full of people chatting about their kids because that always happens. Look at this picture of my kid. This is what we're doing. And um, am I stepping too far to say that it it might continue to be a challenge when you're surrounded by people who just don't quite get it? Absolutely. And I, and I think there's, and it's not an an, an intentional assumption, but um, people do think, well, you know, he's been in your family for so long. It's everything is fine. And if you're in education, you, you know, you're working with hurt kids and kids who have gone through trauma and ACEs. And uh, being a principal of a school with children that struggle and are at risk for a lot of things is one thing. And then coming home to be the parent of one is just a whole nother level of hurt because uh, those hugs, those affectionate moments are few and far between. And so um, it's just a little bit different when they're experiencing that when you're in a social setting and they're like, well, he's so great in school or he's so great in the community. And I said, yep, we can hold it together really well until we get home and we're, we're with the, the people we truly love. And, and, you know, Sarah, I've been blessed to have you in my life in which I've had those moments where I've had to call or box you and just sit out in the backyard and bawl my eyes out over something. So I don't regret for a second going on this journey and in the path of being an adoptive parent. Uh, But I also know that it's not something for everybody. And it's something that you do have to seek out supports and and build a tribe to help you through that, um, the circumstances and the hills and valleys of the work. Well, and any parenting is challenging. We all know that. I was thinking as you're talking about coming home, just this, I've been reading a lot about that um, amount of restraint that all kids have to have while they're at school. And so when they come home, that's a lot of the reasons why we get kind of the worst of their behaviors for any parent that's listening to that and going, oh, good, I'm not alone. (laughs) Just in case you thought it was just you. But knowing that that is amplified by, you know, quite a bit, given all of the work that you've been doing. And I just want the listeners to hear that it is, it's, it's a credit to you and Rob for how much responsibility that you have clearly taken in this. Being a parent to Isaiah, you take it very seriously. It's clear. It doesn't seem that you've ever made it just to be this easy route that you went into lightly or that you you, you fought through the challenging times and it's clear because you're doing the therapies. Would you share some of the things that it, it might be normal to you, but might not be normal to everybody? I know that Isaiah has a pretty regimented volunteer situation that he does. <laughs> 
You want to share that? Oh, yes, yes. So a lot of um, the work that we do is really helping uh, build some empathy and understanding of others' feelings and emotions. And so um, we've read a book by Dr. Michelle Borba. It's called Unselfie. And I had read it for work and it just really resonated with me about building empathy and resiliency with with Isaiah and actually my other son too. But we've done things such as just even watching movies without uh, the volume on so we can start to look at facial features and recognize when people are happy or sad. And then uh, for the last year and a half, every Saturday he goes and works, um, volunteers at a nursing home playing bingo with a few residents. And so just learning to build relationships with others and to give without a intention to receive has been really helpful. And it's been helpful as a parent too, because he can start to read some of my facial features and cues uh, to say, oh, mom's face is making that look. I think she might not be happy with what I'm doing right now or what I'm saying. Or on the other end, oh, when I give mom a hug, I get a big smile. And so if I want to have mom smile more, this is what I should do. So <clears throat> it's a very um, scripted way of teaching feelings and emotions to a to a child that that's just not second nature for him. Sure. Well, and it would be easy on the outside to take for granted all that intentional work that you have done, because I know I've had the pleasure of seeing Isaiah and, you know, watching and listening to stories as we often do share with our, you know, about our kids. And I just think it was really special for the elementary principals conference in Minnesota last February the fact that you had him with you. Do you want to share with the listeners a little bit about what you did there? Yes. So, um, the first few years of our, the backstory of this is the first few years of our relationship together. He, um, it took him quite a bit of time to attach to me. He attached to my husband right away and really enjoyed time with him. And even though I was the one on the adoption leave time from work, he really had a hard time being in the same room with, with me. And uh, so we worked really hard to build relationship just to even tolerate space together. And then it, then the last couple years, he really has a hard time if I'm, if I'm ever gone. And so speaking and going to conferences and things is really hard for him. And so uh, he really wanted to come see me speak. And we had been practicing with this with look like and he was helping time the speech for me and we got there that night and he said well I'm ready for my speech and I said uh <laughs> he said well I'm ready to time you I'm going to go up and time you and I said okay so we walked towards the stage and I showed him what it was like and I said now there's going to be a lot of people in here uh and that didn't phase him so yep he went up and helped me deliver a 10 minute speech for being the principal of the year. And, and he's continued to do some work, uh, helping with coding and technology and even spoke at ISTE last summer. So it's kind of a neat bond that we have. And it's a way that he can still feel safe and know that mom's around, um, even when she has to go away for work. Well, and I just love this part of your, your, the two of you, that story, because I got to witness that on stage and I just, I can't help but beam right now and thinking about he's speaking at ISTE because me and I, I mean, I've never spoken at ISTE, <laughs> you know, and just really special that you've never, you don't come from a space of deficit or scarcity that Isaiah's going to have some pretty awesome experiences. He's already collected some significant experiences to just continue to broaden his horizons as well. And it's just really special. 
Well, and I think just even as a parent, it's so important for your children to see you outside of your role as a mom. And I was fortunate that my mom really did that too. I mean, she was a speech pathologist and I watched her work with kids that were three years old to kids that were 21. And so, yes, she was my mom and and she was a great mom and did so much for me at home, but she had a gift of working with others. And it was such a blessing to me to be able to see both sides of her. And so I try really hard to, to do that for my own boys. So they see me not just as the mom who shows up at their events and makes dinner and does the laundry, but somebody who's, you know, working with others and found a calling to, to lead in schools and, um, lead at both of their schools at one point in their life too. Well, and that's a really exceptional situation too, that you get to experience that. I know, uh, I'm going to let you say what you, when you talk about your transition, because for listeners who may be coming to Jessica Kabeen's work, but not caught up on her current, um, context, do you want to share what you're yeah. doing currently? Yeah. So I had been the principal of the happiest place in Southeastern Minnesota for six years. And one of those years was uh, Isaiah and my first year of kindergarten together. And over the summer and the spring, I started to feel just a little bit of a nudge to maybe look at a different place of leadership. So I took the call to become the middle school principal. And that means that my eighth grade son and I go to school together every day. <laughs> now, the, the kindergarten kid loved having his mom as the principal. The eighth grade kid, not as excited. You know, he's such a, he's also a very charming, kind young man that has a lot of great traits, uh, but he's a normal eighth grader. He shouldn't be excited about that. No, no the, the day I was serving lunch uh, in the cafeteria, he looked at me and just went in another line. He's like, nope, not today, mom. Yeah. And are, are you going to show up in your um, Wonder Woman costume this year? Not, not yet. Not okay. yet. That's still, that's still there. If he ever forgets his computer at home, I'm going to come back and put that on and walk right in the class. So I'm going to be looking for that on social media. I, I want to go back to something that Jessica said in case the listeners missed that is this idea that you know, we have our titles. We layer on a lot of titles the older we get and the more blessings we collect. But we were first our names, right? So you're first Jessica. And you fought to be Isaiah's mom fortunate enough to be Kenny's and of course Rigby, but you're also Jessica, the principal. And I love how you said that our kids need to see us in that context because they need to understand that we're not just mom, not that mom isn't a beautiful title, but that we have so much more that we've got going on so we can model that they also have that call to society as well. So that's really cool to hear that you pointed that out. Love it. Thanks. Thanks. We may be doing this a little bit out of order, but I'm just curious, what led you and Rob to decide that you wanted to pursue adoption? Prior to to coming down to Austin, I had been a special education teacher in the St. Paul Public Schools and my husband had worked construction. And so Rob would get, um, he'd be laid off in the winter. And so he would just come down and volunteer his time in my classroom and really got to know a lot of the kids that, that I was serving. And some of our students um, had traditional families. Some were living with grandmas and grandpas. And then we did have a handful of students that had either been foster children or foster to adopt. And so that that right away, uh, we really started to notice that there were kids in the world that that needed us and just really opened our eyes to what our family could grow into. And then from there, we just started to ask some questions and, and we did a lot of praying and reaching out to other families who had adopted and just really 
it just kind of landed on our heart. And, and you, you can ask Rob and he will tell you, he said, I knew before we even got married that we would grow our family in adoption. He said, you just didn't know that yet. So um, we had an opportunity to really pour into a former student of mine during a transition when his grandmother was passing away before his foster family uh, took him in. And so that was a really humbling and emotional experience to watch that process with someone that you really cared about, but to also see uh, the success of that and to see him really thriving in a family that loves him just as much as his, his grandmother did before she passed away. So that was very reassuring to me as a future adoptive mom that 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 can happen. You can attach to another family. You can still continue to love and have joy in your life. And so he really um, blessed me in a, in a larger sense of really seeing this uh, open up for me as a family too. That's just really cool. Um, and you two do it really well. You make look like something that you can, you know, that people can do and do well. Well, and I would, I would say um, one of the pieces that's really important is in the busyness of raising children, especially from the ages of, I don't know, two to 22, uh, you can get really caught up in the role of parent and sometimes forget the spouse in that. So, I mean, you know that we're, Rob and I are super intentional about date nights and going away, you know, every few months on a weekend and just really plugging back in. Uh, we've learned that teenage boys have eagle ears and can hear everything. So we try to go out for walks at night or, you know, go out in the backyard or something so we can have private conversations, you know, so it doesn't always have to cost money, but it is really important to keep pouring into your spouse during these years because, um, the kids are going to graduate and, you know, move on and you're going to retire at some point, but your spouse is going to be with you to the end. So it's really important to not take that, um, relationship for granted. Well, and super solid, super solid advice there. And again, another representation of why it's easy to say the two of you do it well together, uh, which is really cool because you can see a lot of times, and this is a little bit of a generalization, but mom's just kind of stepping in and doing all the stuff, you know, and that's clearly not the case. So bravo no. to both of you on that. No, just ask him how well I, I cook <laughs> and he'll, he'll be truthful there. <laughs> so I love it. So a couple of questions that are an aside here from that particular story, as you know, Kabine, you are so well-rounded and just like all of us, there are many facets. And we focused on this story because I think it's really important. I can see you coming back on the In Awe podcast for a variety of reasons. But just curious about if you had a chance to write a letter to your former self at any age, what advice do you think you would give to that person and why? Slow down, slow down. I think I really got caught up in trying to be what everybody else wanted me to be that I lost myself for a period of time. I kept getting caught up in the titles that I was supposed to have or the, the positions I was supposed to be in or who I was supposed to date or not date or what, I, what my life plan was going to be that I lost who, who, you know, really God called me to be for a period of time. So, uh, I'm grateful that I've been able to, to learn from that. Um, but I wish I would have learned sooner. Another really great example of what you've come through and so grateful to be kind of on that journey with you um, with this balance piece that we had talked about for several years. And I know you've been on that track for quite a little while, just that self-reflective. And I think we all need to come to it when our life story is ready for that. And the time to share that message so that others can hear it because there are other people that are listening right now that needed to hear that right when you said it. So that's beautiful. So what lesson about being an influential woman 
could you share that might inspire others that to help them kind of keep going if they're finding themselves struggling and they're in the pit of doubt or fear for anything that they're trying to come through? What do you think they might need to hear from you right now? You don't have to be perfect. Don't wait until the proposal is perfect or the book is polished or the perfect job is in front of you. Just keep putting yourself out there. Put yourself out there and be genuine and you won't regret that. You'll regret the the opportunities that passed by. But if you can, at the end of the day, say, I did my very best. I put myself out there and I learned something from it. You are going to, the opportunities will, will continue to be plentiful. And I always just say, I might not be the best at what I'm doing, but I'm putting myself out there in a way to hope that other women will follow suit too. Oh, I love it. And you clearly live that. You know, I went through your bio at the beginning of this show and there's a lot going on in your life. So it'd be easy to have let any one of those things pass you by, especially some of your current projects with a new transition you're in and a new job. And I just want to say thank you for not only giving that advice, but living it so that the rest of us can feel like we can walk that path. You know, it's really refreshing. Oh, I appreciate that. It's we we learn better together, and I think that's something too. It's when when we're women in leadership and women trying to do new things. It's so important that we work together and not in isolation or competition of each other, because uh, we just really need to lean on each other to kind of break through that ceiling. Well, Jessica Cabine gave me um, Jen Hatmaker, and I will forever be grateful. And I love how she always says, "There's there's room at the table for everybody. There is space here. We're gonna make it." And that is beautiful. And I'm so proud to be anywhere with you, lady, anywhere you go. I'm there. Oh, we're good roommates. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So to end this, I've got some inspiring recommendations to pull out from you so that our listeners can, you know, kind of engage further with some of the things that you find helpful. So can you point us to another person on social media that we might connect with? Outside of education, it's definitely Jen Hatmaker and Rachel Hollis and Brene Brown are my influential women in leadership that are kind of, I'm leaning into and watching their development and watching how they inspire other women and equip themselves and how they, you know, celebrate each other and all their incredible things that they're doing. So, so those three are just wonderful women to follow and just kind of learn from outside of just leadership and education, but just life in general. Yeah. Great recommendations. Absolutely. Can't go wrong with any of those. I know this next one's going to be extremely challenging for you, but can you recommend one book that you've either been reading <laughs> lately or one that's your all time favorite? I know. Have you read like you, you're going with it. Was it Bill Gates that read 50 books a year, but you're like, you know, 1000. No, 50, 50, 50. I'm almost there, but I did. I mean, you and I have talked about this off, off the air, but that Brene Brown, the dare to lead book has really been instrumental in the work transitioning into a new building and bringing all the skill sets that I had from my other building, but into a new context. So Brene just really hones in on some of those courageous conversations and how to really build that team and how to be transparent uh, that I wish I would have had a decade ago. So that would be the one book. And I mentioned, I'm going to mention 1.5. And for the parenting that that Michelle Borba, the unselfie, it really is great 
tips for, for parents raising children in this, you know, cell phone kind of world when we didn't have cell phones. So that was really helpful for me to, to see hope and opportunity for me to, to build that grit, resiliency and empathy within my own boys. Oh, again, really great recommendations. Thank you for those. So we want our listeners to be able to engage with you again. So I'll put these in your bio in the show notes, but could you tell folks where to find you on Twitter or your other social media outlets? So I love, I love telling middle schoolers to just Google me. I just Google me. <laughs> They're like, so you wrote a book. I'm like, yeah, you should totally Google me. And then I'm like, at some point I should probably not say that, but it is pretty funny right now. But you're working with middle schoolers and it's a verb. So yes, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Uh, so Jessica could be, and so I have, that's my, all my handles for Twitter, Instagram. I have a Facebook page and then a website too. So those would be the primary platforms that you can, you can follow me on. That's wonderful. And I have no doubt our listeners will be doing just that. Well, thank you so much, Jessica Gabine, for joining our community, our In Awe community, and for giving us an awe-inspiring interview. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to follow along on this journey and, and just grateful that there's a platform for women to lean in and learn from each other. So, so Sarah, thanks for, for putting this together. But we're going to be way better together. Thank you so much, Jess. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the In Awe podcast. We rise by lifting others. So please consider amplifying this story by subscribing to the In Awe podcast and by rating and sharing this episode so masses can be in awe of our guest.